Welcome to the ArchMI Podcast, featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rita. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or ArchMI, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance, or MI, in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, ArchMI RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry, providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. These podcasts are a way for me to share some of my perspective, primarily in the world of sales as it relates to mortgage lending, the industry that I've been in for over 30 years. But honestly, a lot of the things that I talk about are are more universal and apply to many people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves salespeople. But one thing that you can expect is that I'm really focused on helping you create separation and differentiation in the marketplace. It's a very crowded place out there. People have more choices of where to do business than they've ever had. And I want to help you separate from all of that noise and stand out in a, in a crowded field. And I very much appreciate and respect and value the time that you invest to listen and re-listen to these podcasts. So just a little bit about what you can expect as we get started here. Um, first of all, these are very conversational in nature. Now, you'll only be hearing my voice most of the time. Maybe at some point we'll, we'll do interviews and have some other people on the podcast. But for the most part, this is, this is Blaine's show, so to speak. So um, I just want you to know that it's not scripted. So don't expect, you know, perfect word choice and flawless articulation of every word that comes out of my mouth, because I'm certainly looking at notes and I certainly have prepared myself for what I'd like to share with you. But this is really a conversation. I also tend to be a high content speaker, which means I really try to pack in a lot into a short amount of time. And you know, maybe in another lifetime, I'll, I'll be a speaker that doesn't do that, but I just cannot stop that tendency. So the downside of that is that you're going to feel like you need to go back, re-listen, make notes, you know, press pause. It's not going to be a podcast that you can kind of easily digest. Now, I, I say that, and yet I don't know you, and maybe you can. Maybe you can just listen to it one time and get everything that you need. But don't be surprised if you feel like this is something that you want to hear again or you want to take in, in bits and pieces. And I'll do my best to not give you too much content. It's just something I almost can't help myself. And I always start by sharing my worldview as it relates to sales. And it's a statement that I wholeheartedly believe in, and that is that selling is not about getting the sale. I believe that selling is about establishing if you're the best fit for your customer. Now, of course, in the act of doing that, by ensuring that you're the best fit, you'll have plenty of sales. And I'm not saying that we don't sell to make sales. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't be all about having lots of sales. I'm just suggesting that the focus shouldn't be on your commission because people sense when somebody's motivation is more self-serving than out of service. And so I just want to get that out of the way right up front because not everybody agrees with that. That philosophy will not resonate with everybody. And so it's important that you know a little bit about what I believe before you take the time to listen to what I have to share. So today I'd like to talk about some habits of high achievers, and you could probably say high achievers in any industry, although the focus of my research that I've done on this topic has really been high achievers in the mortgage industry, since that's my world. Let me define high achiever, because it's important to know who have I studied, and basically who I've tried to pay attention to are people that do two things. They do incredible amounts of business, so they are literally some of the top originators in the mortgage industry across the nation. And at the same time, they have incredibly high customer satisfaction. So they're doing lots of business and they are loved by their customers. To me, that's 
That's, that's what a high achiever is in this business, right? Because you could do one, but not the other, right? You could do lots of business, but eh, people don't really care for you. Or you could not do a lot of business, but the people you do work with love you. I'm interested in studying the habits of the people that do a lot of business and who are loved by their customers. And while I could probably talk about many habits, not only for the sake of time, but also because of this philosophy that I heard years ago called the half dozen theory, I want to limit the list today to six, six habits of these high achievers. Um, And let me just talk about that half dozen theory for a minute, because I think that's a good philosophy to just carry with you in in lots of ways. You know, if you think about it, if you have to make an important decision or you, you need to learn about something, there really isn't more than about a half a dozen things that you have to focus on. I mean, there may be way more than a half a dozen things that you could know, but what do you really need to know? How many things are there, right? I mean, even something as serious as picking your life partner, right? I mean, deciding deciding to choose someone to live the rest of your life with, right? What, a, what an impactful, life-changing decision. There may be dozens of things that you would consider in making that choice, but is it not going to come down to no more than honestly about a half a dozen things? Right. So I'm a big believer in don't make the list more than about a half a dozen because we don't need to know more than that. And especially in the format of a podcast, um, a half dozen is plenty. So I'm referring to disciplines. And I'd like you to think about that word for a minute, the word discipline. When I ask live audiences what they think of that word, I hear all kinds of things. You know, some people think of it very positively, like, you know, these are the, the things that I do every day or the, the habits and the traits that I exhibit. And other people think of discipline as being more negative, like it's harsh, like it's punishment. It's, it's exercising when you don't want to exercise. It's, you know, getting up early. It's dieting. It's, and so um, regardless of what you think of the word discipline, I want you to be clear on what I'm thinking of when I say discipline. It really is just the habits and routines that the best in our business exhibit, these disciplines, if you will. So they're, they're daily, they're consistent, they're not haphazard, they're not random. And so these half a dozen traits that I want to share with you are things that the high achievers, it's basically in their DNA. Like they don't just do this a little bit or when they think of it, they do these things consistently. So it, it truly becomes a discipline. And there's no specific order of importance for these half dozen. I'm just going to kind of go through them in, in, a, in a particular order, but, but there is no importance to the order. All right. So number one, the first of these high achiever habits is to know your intention. Know your intention. Now, even the word intention is something that we're probably not used to saying. Like, what, what, what is that word? Is it related to attention? So intention is your why. Intention is the reason or the motivation for why something is important to you or why you do what you do. And I su- what I'm suggesting is that these high achievers in our business, they first of all know very simple things like why they're in this business, why they do what they do. But more specifically, they know why they spend their time in the way that they spend their time. Why do they engage in the activities that they engage in? Why do they put things in their calendar and not put other things in their calendar? Why do they spend their money and resources in the way that they do when they're investing in themselves and their business? In other words, they're, they're intentional about the choices that they make. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not suggesting that we be hyper-focused like all day long, we're asking ourselves, why, why, you know, why, like a four-year-old. <laughs> that would be incredibly exhausting. But what I'm saying is they're not just 
doing things out of routine. They're not just on autopilot. If they go to a meeting, they know why they're going to the meeting, right? If they put something in their calendar, they know why they're putting that in their calendar. If they get up every Tuesday morning and do a particular thing, they know why they do that as opposed to, oh, it's Tuesday morning, I just get up and do this thing. And what I'm suggesting is that it's kind of hard to pay attention to your intention. In other words, it's a lot easier to just develop habits and routines that you don't even think about. And maybe over time, that's what these disciplines actually become, are habits and routines that you don't have to think about. But in the beginning, we need to be thinking about them, right? Otherwise, we just are busy. And we can all relate to, can you, you, know, can you be busy but not productive, right? Activity doesn't equal achievement, right? I mean, you can be really, really busy and really, really active and going in a circle, Or if you'd really like to fool yourself, you could be really busy and really active and you're making figure eights. So boy, it seems like I'm just making progress here, but I always wind up back at the same point that I started at, right? I mean, this who do you come across that doesn't say they're incredibly busy? Everybody's busy. But is everybody productive? Is is everybody paying attention to how they spend their time? Those are like conscious decisions that they're making as opposed to reactions or just kind of feeling like they have no control of their time. And time is one of those things that... Boy, is there anything more valuable than that? I don't know. I mean, I certainly respect the time that you're taking to listen to this. And any time anytime I'm speaking to a group, you know, it's never mentioned in my bio that I'm a thief. Blaine's a thief. He steals time. You'll never get that back. You'll never get the time that we spend together back. So I take a lot of responsibility in making sure that that time is valuable for you. But in the course of our day, are we that intentional about our time? I want to share a couple of of quotes that I've heard over the years that kind of speak to this. Uh, You know, the bad news is that time flies. The good news is that you're the pilot. Right? The bad news is that time flies. I mean, doesn't it seem like things are going faster and faster all the time? But the good news is you are still the pilot. You are still the one that gets to decide how you choose your time for the most part. I mean, I get that we have to go to things. We have to be in meetings. We have to, right? We can't control everything, but I think we can control a lot more than we often do. Um, and it was also, I heard this phrase years ago, so this is not a new expression, but it had to do with prioritizing. And so I'm just going to tell you exactly how I remember it. The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, right? The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. You know, I can remember as a new parent, boy, your life changes completely, Right. You've been this, you know, happy young couple and uh, all of a sudden a baby comes and it changes your entire life and you're still this happy young couple, but you no longer have control of your time and you're sleep deprived and you never get to spend any time together. And, you know, if you didn't schedule date night, hire a babysitter or have a relative come over to look after your little one, if you didn't actually make that happen, it would never happen right? Because children and their needs will take up all of your available time. So again, it's about scheduling your priorities as opposed to prioritizing what's on your schedule. All right. So knowing your intention and being intentional about time, that is habit number one. Number two, kind of related, pay attention and focus. Pay attention and focus. Again, this may sound very basic, like, well, of course, of course, we should have the ability to pay attention and focus. But the real question is, do we? Do we anymore? I I think it's rare. I think it's rare 
it, are, it is rare moments when we're focused and truly paying attention. And I've probably mentioned this in some other podcasts, but it's, it, it bears repeating. We're distracted, right? We're distracted. We've never been more distracted. You know what the biggest distraction magnet that is in our world is? The biggest distraction magnet in our world is our smartphone. Never before have we had the power of distraction that we have in the palm of our hand. I can tell you as someone who travels all the time, that's all anybody's doing is staring at that screen constantly. I mean, I, anywhere, hotels, airports, restaurants, while driving. I mean, all I see are people with their heads down, probably a chiropractor's dream right in the future, all the neck problems that we're going to have. Um, that's all I see people doing. Now, there's a ton of, it's, it's unending, right? There's a ton of things that can distract us because these devices are so powerful. Now, I am not suggesting we get away from smartphones. I mean, some people have done that. Some people have, have decided, you know what? I can just go back to having a true phone. Imagine that. What we had, say, 10, 12 years ago was just a phone. That's all it did. It made phone calls. Well, and I guess it even texted. You could even text um, back in the day. Some people have gone that route. They've ditched the smartphone. They've gone back old school. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we need to do that, but I am suggesting, can we take control of this, please? Can, can we be in charge of this? Because, see, technology is supposed to serve us, not us serving it. And I'm here to tell you the apps and the phone itself are designed to distract this is not a secret, by the way, right? Do some research, do some Googling. Uh, there's a thing known as brain hacking. Might want to look into that a little bit. Let me share a book with you. It's got a really funny title, um, but it's actually a very significant book that I recommend you read. It's called How to Break Up with Your Phone. How to Break Up with Your Phone. Don't have the author's name off the top of my head, but I don't think you'll find another book with that title. Now, the book has two parts. Uh, part one is what most of us need, which is just a good overview and information about how these phones are actually designed and what we can do, simple things that we can do, you know, and you already do some of these things, like like how to set not notifications in a way that works for you. Because if you just leave things at their default settings, I mean, that phone would be buzzing and vibrating and jumping up and down and doing all kinds of things 24-7, right? So we tend to go in there and make modifications to how it notifies us of things so that we can actually take control of that, right? Um, that's the first part of the book. The second part of the book is truly like a detox program. I mean, because there are people who have a serious problem, an addiction, if you will. In fact, there is, and I'm not kidding, I am not making this up. There is a new psychological disorder that has been put into the big book of psychological disorders. Any of you who took psychology in college, you probably know what the name of this book is, but it's the big book of psychological disorders. And one of the newest entries into that book is a disorder known as nomophobia. And nomophobia has to do with the anxiety, the, the fear of being separated from your mobile device. So the second part of that book, How to Break Up With Your Phone, is actually all about, you know, coming clean right? and, and not having that phone rule your life. Now, for most of us, we don't need that. We just could use the information that's in the first half. But that's definitely a reason why we don't pay attention and focus. Here's why I think this is such an important habit. Isn't it, is, isn't it noteworthy don't you notice when someone's actually able to pay attention and focus on you? Because it's unusual, isn't it? I mean, most of the time when we're interacting with people, you don't feel as if someone's actually really paying attention and focusing on you. 
And I'm not suggesting that you have to be hyper-focused and pay attention 24 hours a day. I'm just saying have the skill. Be able to do it. Develop the ability to do it. Multitasking is another challenge that keeps us from being able to pay attention because we're doing more than one thing at a time. And I've talked about multitasking in other sessions, but just to summarize, we really don't multitask, we multi-switch. So when we think we're doing multiple things, you are doing multiple things, but your attention is simply going from one thing to the next. And so it makes it very hard to actually pay attention to any single thing when you are doing more than one thing. All right, so that's trait number two. So we started with know your intention. Trait number two, pay attention and focus. Have the ability to do that. Have the ability to really pay attention and focus on a task, on a person, on a conversation. I'm telling you, it can have huge impacts in your business and your relationships. I, a little bit of a sidebar here. I don't like to say things that sound sexist. I'm just making an observation. When women are talking to each other, and again, I just notice this because I observe. I, when I'm sitting in the airport, by the way, I'm not looking at my phone. I mean, I might glance at it a couple of times just to see if there's anything going on there that I need to pay attention to, but I'd rather watch the people. I'd rather watch what's going on around me than stare at my device, right? Because I could do that anytime. And what I notice is that when women are having a conversation with each other, and this, this could literally be women that don't even know each other, they just seem to be so much intent, the, the, the attention and focus that they place on each other. I just physically notice that that's different than most men who have conversations with each other in terms of eye contact and focusing and acknowledging what the other person is saying. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that all women do that and that no men do. I'm just saying that I notice that as a trait, that perhaps women have this ability to truly pay attention and focus, at least interpersonally, um, that's at a different level than many men have. But you notice it when you feel it. You, you know it when it happens. So what I'm saying is be that person, right? Be the person that can do that for others. Okay, um, trait number three. Set realistic expectations. Set realistic expectations. Setting expectations is probably one of those things that you work on pretty hard. And if you don't, you really need to listen to this point. I think it's actually one of the most important things you can do at the beginning of an application or the beginning of a sales conversation. In other words, when you're just kind of getting started and doing business with somebody, one of the most effective uses of your time is to establish what's going to happen so that they know what to expect. So let's just talk about customer satisfaction or customer expectations for a minute. I think there are like three levels, three levels of satisfaction. And the very basic level of satisfaction is when people are just satisfied, right? So they do business with somebody and at the end of it, they're just satisfied. And I, I like to think that I have a formula for how to achieve each of these levels. So to achieve the level of satisfaction, Right. So just imagine you're out there doing what you do and everybody at the end of what you do says, I'm satisfied. Well, how did you accomplish that? The way that you accomplish that is to meet their expectations. That's how you satisfy people. You meet their expectations, right? Think about yourself as a customer, as a consumer, when your expectations are met, when it went the way you thought it would go, you're satisfied, right? You're not excited, but you're also not angry. You're just satisfied. Well, here's the key. You don't have a prayer of meeting people's expectations if you're not involved in setting them. Because people are coming into this without any of the knowledge that you have, right? People are not experts in what you do. 
So people are going to have expectations that are completely unrealistic. And if you aren't involved in resetting those, you have no prayer of meeting their expectation. Okay, so that's the basic level of satisfaction. But then we go from that to impressed. Now, impressing people, that should be a worthy goal, right? Because we want to impress people. We want to make sure that they would want to do business with us again. We want to make sure that they would refer others to us. So how do we impress people? Well, you know the formula. You've heard it. You don't just meet expectations. You exceed expectations. And again, you don't have a prayer of exceeding expectations if you aren't involved in setting them. And you want to always make the bar a little lower than it needs to be so that you can indeed go higher. This is not intuitive, by the way. We tend to do the opposite. We tend to put the bar up so high that we have to, you know, be amazing. But that's the third level of satisfaction is when people are actually amazed. And the way that you amaze people is when you can actually anticipate their expectations. When you've been in this business and this industry long enough that you actually know what people think, right? You know how they will respond. You know how they will react. You know what people generally will like and dislike before they even express those concerns to you. It's like giving somebody some pain reliever before they tell you they're in pain because you know it's coming. You know, you don't even, you're not even going to have to tell me that in 20 minutes because I'm going to give it to you now. And that wows people. So the, the message in all of that is that one of the most effective uses of your time and that these high achievers spend a lot of time doing is setting realistic expectations. Okay, trait number four, be specific. Be specific. Here's what you don't want to sound like, a politician. Now, I'm, I, you know, again, I don't want to insult anybody and I'm not here to poke fun at politicians. But they often say a lot of words and there's no substance there. There's nothing specific. See, if, you don't, if you're not specific, then nobody can hold you accountable. So just imagine for a moment, what if I called you up and asked you what your interest rate is on a mortgage? And you, your answer was, oh, well, I'm so glad you called, Blaine, because here at ABC Lending, we're all about low rates. I'm sorry, I, I was actually looking for a number. What's your interest rate? Here at ABC Lending, we are very committed to low rates, low rates every day, all day long. We're like the Walmart of mortgage lenders. It's all about low price. What? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. I need a number. This, this is ridiculous. You would give people a number. Somebody asks about a rate, you give them a number. Somebody asks about how a product works. Who's eligible for this first-time borrower product or who is qualified for this loan down payment product? You would be very specific. You would say, well, you have to meet this criteria. These are the guidelines. But think about other things that you say. I'm going to call these your competitive advantages. Your competitive advantages are the things that you have to offer that are not price and product, right? Because everybody out there is out there selling their prices and their products. So your other competitive advantages might be things like your service, your focus on the customer, right? The customer experience, uh, your employees, your, your, your reputation, your values as an institution, right? We all have these things that we bring into the conversation when somebody says, well, other than interest rate, you know, what else you got? Or, well, that rate's not that great. I can get a lower rate down the street. And so you immediately start to say, oh, well, here's some other things you should consider before you go down the street. So let's just label those other things competitive advantages. Here's my challenge for you. Be as specific with those as you are your interest rate. 
Don't tell people, for instance, you're focused on customer service. What the heck does that mean? Everybody's focused on customer service. Now, they may not really be, but they say it. There isn't a company out there that says, no, we don't care about that. We don't care about our customers. In fact, we hire people that don't like talking to people. And nobody says that. Everybody says, we're focused on the customer. We hire the best people. Everybody says that. But see, those words now have no meaning. So define it, quantify it, specify. If you're going to say, for instance, that you focus on closing loans quickly, be prepared to give them a number. What percentage of your loans close within X number of days? That's specific. And when you say specific things to people, there's even a psychological bias where people want to lean in a little bit. Like, tell me more about that. Like, that's, that's interesting. Nobody else. You know, I talked to a bunch of people today. Everybody else just said they're all focused on the customer and they close loans quickly. You're the first person that said one of the ways you focus on the customer is that 85% of your loans close within 25 days. That's compelling. So I'm suggesting that you find ways to take the things that you might say in a very general sense and be specific. All right, trait number five, don't just contact, connect. Oh boy, this, this is a challenge for us because it takes time. And none of us think we have time to do this. So just as an example, a lot of people use social media or email campaigns where they just put stuff out there, right? They just push, push, push information out there. They post things, they send things, they just push stuff out there. Is it designed to simply contact people or is it designed to connect with people? Here's an example. If you're on LinkedIn or Facebook and you've got a network of friends and colleagues and customers and coworkers, you don't even have to remember anybody's like special days anymore. Like, you don't have to know your own family members' birthdays or workmates anniversaries or any of that kind of stuff. Because if you go onto those networks, it'll tell you every day, Hey, it's John's birthday. Oh, Sally's got 10 years at this place. And so then you can just join in the chorus of a million other people that say, Hey, happy birthday. Have you noticed that that's kind of what usually happens? Like on Facebook, for instance, it's somebody's birthday. And there's just a ton of people that say, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. And then eventually like a couple days later, the person whose birthday it was, they just send a message out to everybody that says, everybody that wished me a happy birthday. Thank you very much. It was a great day. I'm not saying there's that, like, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. But that's what I call contact. You made contact. It's like I poked you. I poked you. I made contact. You noticed me. Wouldn't you rather have a hug than a poke? Wouldn't you rather that I actually connect with you than just contact you? So a simple way that you could do that would be on any of those networks that you might be on to actually compose something that's personal, that's not part of the mass feed that they're reading, right? So it comes through another channel. It's personal. You took a moment to think about it. You put some thought into it. That's connection. But that does take time. That takes more time and intention. I'm telling you that these high achievers, and it's hard to imagine that you have no idea how much business these high achievers do. It's insane. I mean, they have a whole staff of people to help them get through all this business, right? That's how much business they do. And yet they will never shortchange the things that make connections with people. They will focus on how they can keep connecting with people. So they're not all about efficiency, right? They're about effectiveness. 
They're trying to make sure that what they do actually builds relationship as opposed to, I got this many likes. You know, I got, I got, I got this many people who read my thing. It, that, it's, it's more about how can I make connection? Okay, so don't just contact, connect. Trait number six, and I've already kind of hinted at it, you have to balance efficiency with effectiveness. Boy, we struggle with this because there's tension between those two words, efficiency and effectiveness. So let's just look at communication as an example. I mean, this applies throughout all kinds of things in our life, but let's just look at communication as just one example. Um, Texting. Texting might be the most efficient form of communication that we have, right? It's instantaneous. It doesn't take you long to compose it and send it, right? And you don't even have to worry about things like capitalization and spelling and grammar because people are okay with it being kind of very casual and messy. And, you know, we have all the emoticons, all this other stuff that we do with texting, right? Okay, so it's very efficient. We can agree on that. But is it effective? Is it always effective, Well, if somebody just asked me, are you okay meeting at such and such a place for dinner? And I responded back, then yeah, it's effective. But if I needed to communicate something important to somebody, it's probably not effective, right? Because you probably had those texting exchanges where you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with somebody. And you're thinking to yourself, if I could just get you on the phone for like 30 seconds, we could clear this whole thing up. But they won't answer their phone. You call them, they don't pick up. You text them, they text you right back. What is up with that? (laughs) It's because we don't want to take the time to talk to each other. I've done it. I've called people knowing they're not there, right? Or call call it like three in the morning and you're you're calling and praying to yourself, don't answer, don't answer, don't answer. Like I want to get your voicemail because all I want to do is just leave you what I need to tell you. I I don't want to engage in a conversation. Hey, sometimes that's fine. But that's become our habit. That's become our default. It's all about efficiency. And what I'm saying is that the high achievers know it, yes, efficiency is important. Absolutely. But that's not all that it's about. Ultimately, especially with communication, it's about effectiveness. So make sure you're not sacrificing effectiveness for efficiency. Make sure you're not always looking at things in terms of how easy, how quick can I do it and make sure instead it's achieving its purpose. When you are putting information out there, by the way, whether it's through social media or any other way that you, you know, reach people, you've got a, you've got a customer list, you've got an email list, you've got people that you stay in contact with, um, be respectful of their time, right? And make sure that whatever information that you're, you're sharing with people, that it's, that it's relevant and valuable, right? I'm trying to make sure that in these podcasts, I'm speaking about things that are, I mean, I'm imagining who my audience is, right? I'm imagining who's listening to this. And I'm trying to make sure that what I'm saying is relevant to you. It's valuable to you. It's worth consuming because it's so hard to get people's attention. It's so hard for people to take the time to consume something. I mean, just look at your internet habits, your social media habits, when you're, when you're the consumer, when you're, when you're trying to consume information, whose posts will you read? Which videos will you watch? Which websites will you spend more than five seconds on? What gets your attention is the stuff that's relevant and useful and valuable and worth consuming. Just ask yourself when you're the person putting information out there, again, to be effective as opposed to efficient, to be effective, it's got to be relevant, useful, valuable, worth consuming. All right. So just quick summary of the six steps. We talked about knowing your intention. Again, these are the habits of high achievers, knowing your intention, knowing why you do what you do and 
paying attention, especially to time, your use of time. Second was pay attention and focus. Develop the habit of being able to turn off the distractions and the multitasking long enough that you can truly focus and pay attention when needed. Number three, setting realistic expectations. Make sure you're taking the time to really let people know what they can expect and always leave yourself a little wiggle room so that you can actually exceed those expectations and they can actually be impressed instead of just satisfied. Number four, be specific. When you're talking about your competitive advantages, don't just say things like, we're all about service here. Say things like, well, 85% of the people that get a mortgage here would come back. And the reason you'd know that is because you've measured it, right? You've, you've quantified it. Number five, don't just connect or don't just contact, connect. Make sure that you're not just poking people, but that you're actually embracing them. And number six, make sure you're balancing efficiency and effectiveness. By the way, folks, none of these things are easy. But what I have found is that the high achievers in our industry do these things consistently. Now, do they have help? Yes, they've got staff. They've got people that help them with some of these things. But these half dozen that I've outlined are probably the things that they take the most responsibility to focus on themselves. They don't delegate these tasks. These are the traits that the actual high achiever has. So we can all probably up our game just a little bit in these areas. All right. And finally, I like to every, end every podcast with a couple of suggestions for you. I want to make sure that you take a step, that you do something with this information that you've heard and not just have it be an interesting use of your 30 minutes of time. Also, tell a friend, share the news, make sure that you pass on any good ideas, not only just share the ideas, but share the podcast, you know, have, encourage people to listen to it if you find it valuable. And finally, talk with us. Make sure that you're letting us, as a, as a mortgage insurance company at ArchMI, we're, we're very interested in helping you to do business, more business, better business. How we can serve you and provide value is what we're all about. So, you, so tell us. And any feedback about the podcast specifically, what you like, don't like, what you'd like to hear, uh, make sure you get a hold of your account manager and give them that feedback. That's it for this one. Hope you found that the investment of your time was worth that investment. This is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. Thanks for listening. Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. mortgage insurance operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit archmi.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.